I'm Dr. Stephen Connor, Chief, uh, Chief Executive of the Worldwide Hospice Palliative Care Alliance. The next panel we're doing is on uh, dying alone, uh, effectively in a COVID world. We've seen a whole lot of suffering of isolated patients and families since the pandemic began, with a lot of implications for society for, um, and for the physical um, and mental health and spiritual uh, health of patients and families. We have with us, we're gonna start with um, Professor Dale Larson, who's uh, from Santa Clara University, who's uh, written extensively on uh, self-care issues and uh, will help us by understanding a bit more about medically mandated separation and its effects on society. Uh, Dale, over to you. Thank you. As I'm trying to expand our vision for, you know, hope for the future. So we're not dying alone and we're not uh, all separated forever. Uh, and we can find a way to make some progress in the world because I think the COVID-19 pandemic has actually catapulted the rest of the world into the place where we've all been. This tribe has been for a long time, uh, an awareness of mortality, the fragility of life, um, a sense of loss, and that this COVID pandemic has, has made everything kind of stop. And you know, one of my bereaved uh, clients, uh, a bereaved mother said, you know, it's like the world has kind of become still, like I am inside trying to figure out what I'm going to do now, how I can go forward, how I can find hope. And I was reminded of the Michael Rennie and Sam Jaffe, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still movie, where uh, Klaatu comes with his robot gourd and they say, uh, you have to stop all your aggression now or we're going to reduce the earth to a cinder. And, and it forces the entire planet to really think about what are we doing um and you know i think that there's a way that we're we're really seeing the perils we collectively face you know we're together on the planet the fault lines in our society the racial injustice the inequities the all of those things are just coming to light right now and paul ehrlich and robert ornstein put it beautifully they said all of us citizens of every nation are now in the same family are now in the same boat walking the same tightrope like it or not. The worst problems of the human predicament are common to all of us, from climate disruption, loss of biodiversity and poisoning of the environment to pandemics, gross economic inequities and the threat of nuclear war. Our tightrope is a line from humanity's past to its future. And I think the current uh, activities and protests with racial injustice are part of this. Could there be the transformation of our empathy into global compassion, you know, guided by global ethics? That's the question. That this is what's necessary to save ourselves, to build a just and compassionate society and world, and to allow us to walk that tightrope together into the future. And I really believe, and I, I, I really agree with Nicole and you know, in the spirit that I believe we can transform this confrontation with grief, loss, and trauma into caring, compassionate action that benefits us all. I, I think the courageous and creative acts we're seeing, the volunteerism, the marching against racial injustice, the courageous clinicians risking their lives every day to, for others, and, and all of us meeting here today give us hope for that future outcome. Um, and as Maya Angelou counseled us, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And so that's my hope for our future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dale. Inspiring. Susan Whitmore, founder and CEO of Grief Haven. Next, we'll be talking about post-traumatic stress.
Today, um, I'm going to teach an exercise that is very powerful and that we use in our work at Grief Haven. I've taught this exercise all over the world and it has to do with those looping traumatic thoughts that people continue to relive over and over again. In my work as a grief expert with Grief Haven, I've had the honor of working with hundreds of people all over the world who are grieving. And many of those people have lost loved ones um, where they weren't there. They weren't able to be there with them, you know, because of an accident or an unexpected illness. And with this pandemic today, we're seeing so much of this. People who are not able to actually be physically there with their loved ones, either they're saying goodbye by cell phone, so they're dying without their loved ones, or they're standing behind a glass partition as their loved one dies without them. It's very tragic and very sad. But for those who are left behind, it's really difficult. And for a certain percentage of those people, what we see regularly are, uh, is a form of post-traumatic stress, where it's either that they find themselves imagining what their loved one went through because they weren't there, or they actually experienced something as they watched their loved one die from a distance. So it's those traumatic moments that people ruminate over again and again, and they just keep reliving it and they can't stop it. So we refer to it as the loop. It, the loop where you start the thought and you end the thought and you start it again, it has a beginning and it has an end. It tends to be one full thought or experience. Um, so what we want to do is we want to help people. And the way we do that is by interrupting the loop. So basically what we're doing is sending a message to the brain with this exercise that says, let's not go this way. Let's go this way. Um, creating a new neural pathway away from this strengthening of this loop. So how do we do that? Several years ago, I worked with UCLA um, where Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor was using functional MRIs to look into the grieving brain. And during that time, I came up with the next, this exercise. I tweaked it a lot myself and it was, it is very powerful and it helped me with my traumatic um, memories I have of watching my daughter die. Um, and here's how it works. You pick a word, one word. This seems so simple and it is, but it's powerful. The word has to be one syllable and it has to be a positive or neutral word and it cannot be a person's name and it cannot in any way remind you of the one who died. So let's say love, hope, peace, God, those are some of the words, kinds of words. So let's say my word is peace. I, the minute I find myself back in that loop and I'm ruminating over that experience I had with Erica, I will start using my word. So let me give you an example of how it works. As soon as I realize I'm in the loop, I go peace, peace, peace. And there's a key here. You have to fully 100% focus and concentrate on that word when you're saying it so that you're not doing anything else in that moment but that word. You know, you can see it, you can visualize it, you can hear it, however, whatever works for you. I usually see my word. Some people even say they use it at night. It's like sort of a mantra to fall asleep at night, whatever their word is. And you can change your word. People change their words until you come up with one land on a word that you find is really uh, working for you. So that's pretty much how it works. It's really simple and, um, 
and I just want to say you have to practice it and use it a lot. And um, if you do, I guarantee you, like hundreds of others, will will find it very um, beneficial. Howard Winokur, uh, who's president or head of the Center for Counseling and Healing. I want to just talk a little bit about the impact this disease is having on some of the folks. Um, I read a thing in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it said that the fear of dying alone is nearly universal. People are afraid to die alone. Now, I want to give a couple of case studies. One was a very sad one to me. And I say this because so many of you who are watching this are bereaved, and this may be something of what you've been through. So this 80-year-old mom had COVID, and she was living with her daughter. And they ended up calling 911, and EMTs came, and she walked with her mother to the ambulance. And as they were putting her mom in the ambulance, she said, she held her mom's hand and said, Mom, I will be with you and walk with you through this whole experience. That was the last time she saw her mom. Uh, she really worked hard at the hospital to try to get in, but the hospital policy was very clear that they didn't allow people to experience that. So she couldn't do it. Many of you have probably felt so angry and so disconnected at the system for not allowing you to be part of the dying of someone you love. There was another story that was really bothersome to me. And I don't know, there's so many people in the Latino community are being affected. And so this 43 year old man um, who was here as an illegal had the virus and he was afraid to go to the hospital to share the fact that he's here illegally. And so he ended up not going to the hospital, staying at the home and dying. I think what's really hard is that people are so disenfranchised in this because the grief is going on. They're experiencing all this anger, all this frustration, and there isn't anything they can do with it. So my sense in terms of what to do for hope is, in your community, find someone that you trust. Hopefully someone who's trained, like Dale or myself. There are people all over the country, like Diane, all over the country and all over the world, Susan, who are trained to work with grief. Find someone that you can work with and then give yourself permission to do the grief work you need to do. Our wrap-up speaker is uh, Diane Gray, who is president of Hospice and Healthcare Communications. And, uh, a communications expert with lived experience. Go ahead, Diane, it's over to you. Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm gonna just recap quickly. You know, Dale, I think you brought up the fact that there was, you know, this, this very special time in history has uh, reminded us and of an awareness of our own mortality. And Susan, um, I loved your exercise, by the way, and I think it was really helpful about choosing one word. I used the word peace also. Her exercise was spot on. And Howard, I think you, um, you brought up a good point to find someone that you trust. And I'd like to sort of talk to us about the context of, of all of this is about um, dying alone. That was our topic. And for me, because I do work with the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation, but as well work with all kinds of people and uh, have done the training that goes with it, I want to ask people to... Uh, stretch their minds and their hearts to this concept of the fact that as the soul 
um, really comes from the womb out into the light of day, okay? As well, when we're having a lived experience, the soul lives and goes towards, for many, though not all, the light of the next life. The reason I bring that up is whether you are looking for a scientific response that's available from the University of Virginia Paranormal Studies, or you look towards the spiritual aspect, there's much, much reference to the fact that people are met on the other side by their beloved. Now, whether you believe that or not, it's hard to sort of disprove what other people share as their NDE experiences, which is they were met by others on the other side and they came back, as you heard in Evan Alexander's talk earlier today. So I think it's also important to ask of ourselves and ask of others in this time of COVID, where we're just distraught because it seems that people are dying alone, I think it would behoove us to ask ourselves if that's really the truth. And if that's really the case, is it that we don't get to be there with them that is where the rubber meets the road? Or is it really truly that people are dying alone? Because if you look at time after time and case after case of NDEs, or if you go to a spiritual reference and context, which says that often that you will be met by the people that you love who have already passed on or by a spiritual being, whichever you choose, there are many points of reference that say that people do not necessarily die alone. So not that I'm here to prove that, I'm asking us all to be open to the thought and to ask ourselves the question of whether that's really true. It's the people that are still here, that are suffering, that are grieving, understandably, that feel the anger and the frustration and the angst. If there's one thing that you could tell me how I can help somebody who I think is really struggling right now with grief. What's one thing that I can do? I'd love to have all the panel members lock on that. Please comment, panelists. From my perspective, I think just acknowledging that they're going through so much right now, not being present, physically present. Stephen, you were talking about how we're virtually doing it, but there's, there's something different about yeah. physical presence that we need and people need that. And to have that, you know, it's another loss. It's not just the loss of their, the, lo the person who died, but it's the loss of their being able to be present with them. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. One thing I would encourage people to do is to realize that physical distancing, as we've heard, doesn't mean social distancing. So um, make yourself, you know, learn how to use Zoom or, or set up things where you can actually connect with people. I mean, when we end our grief groups, we do this hand-holding exercise where we pretend we're all holding the hand of the per person in the square next to us. And or sometimes you can give hugs like this. I mean, it makes a difference. You know, um, you need to see people and talk to them and feel them. It's physical distancing, but not emotional distancing. Exactly. And I think we, you know, it's important to realize that everyone who's bereaved during this time is, has a unique kind of bereavement. I always say the, the novel coronavirus is creating a novel kind of traumatic bereavement. So we need to help people, if they are bereaved that way, continue these conversations with their deceased loved one and to maintain those bonds. Um, through, um, you know, working with them and having conversations and writing and all the things that we do in counseling and in support groups.
So great to have you guys on. You're amazing. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.